What's up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Not Gonna Lie. I'm your host, Jonathan Terry, and we are joined here today with an NBA analyst Jared Dubin. Jared, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So uh, we brought Jared on to talk about the NBA draft, NBA free agency upcoming. Uh, he has a lot of experience working uh, in and around the NBA. Do you mind kind of talking to us a little bit about your credentials and, and what's given you so much experience in the NBA? Sure. Um been covering, this was, I guess the upcoming season will actually be my 10th season covering the NBA in some capacity or another. Um, basically, all of the websites that exist, I've written for at some point. Um, you know, ESPN and most ESPN-affiliated properties, Grantland 538, True Network back in the day when it existed, uh, Sports Illustrated, Fan Sided, Dime. Vice, Bleacher Report. Um, I'm trying to think that I'm missing a bunch. I know, but it's just been a long time writing for a lot of different sites. Mm -hmm. uh, CBS. Um, so yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And so, uh, I mean, this year in the NBA draft, obviously a lot of trades uh, tied for the most in history, I believe. I think that's what I was what I was reading about. Um, why do you think so many teams were moving picks this year in the draft? What was the importance of moving stuff around i think uh you know a lot of it is that there is a lot of salary cap space available this summer and a very good free agent class and teams are sort of jockeying to get themselves into position you know a lot of these trades were financially motivated um, just as an example like the nets at the end of the first round they traded their pick this year um for a pick next year and it helped them clear like a million and a half dollars in cap space they also traded the, the 17th pick and a future pick earlier in the offseason to clear more cap space by moving out Crab out. Uh, the Celtics sent Aaron Baines away uh, along with the 24th pick in order to create cap space. Uh, you know, a, a lot of teams are moving players uh, to create space. The, uh, the TJ Warren trade from Phoenix to Indiana was financially motivated and they got the 32nd pick in that deal. Um, I think a lot of it is in relation to that. And then a lot of it is in relation to, you know, there are a lot of teams that think they have a better shot this year than they have in previous years because the league seems sort of much more wide open, especially with, you know, the uncertainty surrounding really both finals teams. Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant both hurt, even if they go back to the Warriors. And nobody knows if Kawhi Leonard or Danny Green or both will be back with Toronto. Um, so I think a lot of teams feel like they have a shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, there were a lot of trades, but there were a lot of teams that tried to find a prospect within uh, the draft this year. Now, obviously, the first three picks weren't that big of a surprise. I think ever since the college basketball season ended, it was Zion, John Morant, RJ Barrett. But the thing that was probably most interesting is were the teams that were able to draft those three guys. So I want to talk to you a little bit about, uh, before we talk about the players specifically, the, the lottery itself. So I know a lot of people are saying that the lottery is unfair, uh, that there are teams that, you know, you can have a slight chance to get a pick and do the number one pick and you get it. I mean, it looked to the, the Cavs a couple years ago um, and even the Pelicans this year. Do you think that the lottery is the best way to decide who gets a pick? Now, obviously, for the listeners who don't know, the NBA lottery is selected. So the bottom 14 teams have a percentage chance of getting uh, the top 14 picks in the draft. 
and then they're selected at random, and then those picks are how the NBA draft shapes out. So do you think that the lottery is the best possible solution moving forward, or should they go in a different direction like NFL teams have with the just going based off of the record? I don't know that there is a quote-unquote best system. No matter what system is used, there are going to be certain issues with it. You know, if they use the NFL system, obviously you bring back the issue of some team just tanking all the way down the bottom of the standings to ensure that they get the number one pick outright if you do it. So it's sort of a reverse-weighted lottery where, you know, the, the 14th team gets the first pick and the worst team gets the 14th pick, then you might have somebody duck out of the eighth seed to uh, to get the, you know, the, the best record out in the lottery so that they get the number one pick. When you have the old lottery system, some, you know, people thought there was too much of an advantage to having the worst record, but then you look at the lottery system this year, there was still a pretty big advantage to having the worst record, even though the three worst teams all had the same percentage chance of getting the first, second, third, and fourth picks, um, the Knicks ended up getting three, and the two teams that had the the same percentage chances as them, the the Suns and the Cavs, they fell to five and six. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was still an advantage to having the worst record in the league, even if you did share odds with two other teams. Uh, You know, to me, people are always going to find something to complain about. I'm sort of, like, lottery agnostic. Like, I don't (laughs) think the old system was that big of an issue i don't think the new system is that big of an issue and if they come up with some other new system i probably won't think that's that big of an issue either there's there's going to be you know advantages and drawbacks to any kind of system you want to come up with so are you just just say leave it as it is is that kind of your your mindset with this whole thing i don't i'm i'm not i'm not anti-changing it and i'm not anti-leaving it as it is Mm. i just I don't have a strong feeling about the way it's conducted other than to say people will always have problems with it and that's oh, just definitely. the way it is. Yeah, no, no question. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump right into a little NBA draft talk. So like I said, first three picks, not much of a surprise. Um, I was a little surprised to see DeAndre Hunter go uh, and, and get moved from, well, what would have been the Lakers pick then was the Pelicans pick and then was the Hawks pick. Um and this really helped. I mean, the Hawks themselves had a really good draft and really helped round out their top or their starting five, although a little young. Um, what do you think about this DeAndre Hunter pick at number four? Uh, I mean, that was pretty clearly their guy, quote unquote, you know, throughout the draft process. That's something that sort of came into crystallization right around the combine, essentially the couple days after the lottery, or I think maybe the day after when people started hearing that that was going to be the guy they wanted. And it sort of didn't seem like he was going to make it all the way to eight. You know, I do think that they gave up a bunch to go get him and move up to number four. And maybe he wouldn't have gone four or five. But I think at some point he would have gone four, five, six, seven. I I don't think he was going to make it to the eighth pick necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, they identified the guy they wanted. He's a very good fit for what they needed in terms of having, you know, a switchable, versatile defender at the three and four spots. Um, that can also, you know, do catch and shoot jumpers, whether it's from the corners or from the wings, and be closeouts and move the ball a little bit. And then they basically just doubled up on that by taking Cam Reddish at ten. And uh, that was the whole idea. That was sort of why that trade didn't happen sooner. It's because the the Hawks didn't want to give up eight and ten. They wanted to do eight and seventeen. And there was, you know, sort of negotiating going on back and forth to see how they could keep ten, so they could try to get Reddish as well. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and so with this Hawks team, I mean, they these two guys, Cameron Reddish, Cameron Reddish and DeAndre Hunter, now add to a strong core of Kevin Herter, Trey Young, and John Collins. So obviously they're they're very young, uh, a lot of inexperience with this team, which is you know obvious. But how many like where does this turn the Hawks franchise? Like, are they going to be able to see the playoffs? Maybe this year, maybe the next two or three years. How does how does it look based off of their draft and the drafts that they've had the past few years? I mean, look, it, it certainly looks like they have a bright future. Trey Young, obviously, for the first you know twenty twenty five games or so last year was pretty bad, um, but yeah. then after that, he was really really good, and um, they've surrounded him, I think, with exactly the kind of players that you need to surround that kind of player with. You know, they they have three shooters and a pick and roll dive man around him. They have, you know, big players with a lot of length around him, you know, Herder and Hunter and Reddish are all like, you know, between I think six, seven and six, nine on the wing. They should Mm -hmm. be able to switch across all of those positions. At least two of the three are plus shooters and Reddish was sort of billed as a plus shooter before college when he really struggled. And I would imagine with, with Trey Young setting him up and with so much more space on the floor than he was afforded at Duke, that maybe he can get back to being that. So you know, I do think that they're moving in the right direction. I would caution against expecting them to make the playoffs this year. Um, young teams are generally just really bad at defense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and, and rookies are generally just not very good. Yeah. Uh, it's more the exception than the rule that, that you get you know, actual – positive value performances from them but i do like the way that they're building out their team i think it makes a lot of sense and they should you know get better as the years go by yeah definitely i think that their their future is certainly bright uh, with the team that they've built and they put together uh i want to talk to you a little bit about people that fell in the draft so this may be people that fell recently um you know in in the coming weeks or people that started off the year highly ranked and fell quite a bit so uh the, there's three guys that come to mind. Obviously, the number one is Bull Bull. I mean, I don't think... Did you really expect him to to drop out of the first round? I mean, I know that he's had an injury history and there's a lot of question marks there. But still, a guy like that, a prospect like that is... Don't you think that's worth developing, taking a first-round pick? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I expected him to fall out of the first round entirely. Um, you know, coming in, I believe he was like the number five recruit in the class or something along those lines Mm -hmm. um but when you have a guy who's seven foot two and he suffers a you know an injury to his foot and he weighs 208 pounds um i think that that's a big red flag for a lot of teams was just crossed off a bunch of teams boards entirely and i don't know if they even would have signed him as an undrafted free agent um there's some teams that just won't use resources on a player that has that body type and and or suffers that kind of injury. Um, I do think 44 is a bit lower than I expected him mm-hmm. to go. But, you know, the, the reasoning behind it, injury-wise, and then certain stuff that you hear about, um, not workouts, but interviews and, you know, questions that I think existed about, you know, work ethic and um, I don't want to say character because nobody thinks that he's necessarily a bad guy, but, you know, the way they generally describe it is like, you know, character concerns. I hate that word, and I don't think it's necessarily accurate, but that's sort of the box that it gets lumped into. So when you have all of those things combining together, um, that tends to push a guy's stock down the board. 
Yeah, and and he was drafted by the Blazers, who then traded it to the Nuggets. Um, and that means that the Nuggets have taken two prospects that have that have a high ceiling, but have dropped a lot in terms of value right up until the draft with Bobo and Michael Porter Jr. Um, if those two prospects work out, can we see a Nuggets championship run in the future? I mean, I know they have a very, very solid young core with Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, guys like that, Monty Morris. Uh, what will it mean if these two prospects can fulfill their potential? I mean, they were the number two seed in the West and a game away from the Western Conference Finals last year. You know, if the, if those two guys turn into what they were sold as coming into their freshman year, then, like, yeah, they're going to be really good. Um, you know, that being said, like, it takes more than being good. It takes luck. It takes timing. It takes finding the right matchups um, when you get into the playoffs. Um, I wouldn't say that we're definitely going to see anybody win a championship. You know, it's um, they're certainly in the mix given the level of talent they have, given that they're – you know, led by a, a superstar big man who was like the best passing big man maybe ever mm-hmm. already. And, um, you know, they, they've, they've got enough talent to make a deep run uh, in the Western Conference, potentially even make the finals, even if those guys don't turn into anything and they never step on the court. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw that just last year. They almost got to the Western Conference finals. Um, anything they get from them, I think at this point, you know, especially from Bull, who was a, a second-round pick, they sort of are, are just taking the flyer. Anything they get from him, you know, I think is icing on the cake. Porter is, uh, you know, a little bit different. He was obviously still a lottery pick, um, but you know, we'll we'll see what happens with him as well. Yeah, and then an- another guy who um, took a pretty decent fall from the beginning of the year was Nasir Little. So Nasir Little came out of North Carolina. I believe he was the number six prospect, somewhere along those lines. He was at least a top ten prospect, um, but he had struggles playing for UNC, playing for Roy Williams. Found himself on the bench. Um, and he dropped all the way into the late 20s uh, where he was drafted by the Trailblazers. So what have you been hearing about Nasir Little um, and possibly why the Trailblazers took him, and do you think he'll be able to regain the form that he had, which had a lot of scouts believing that he was a top-10 prospect in the NBA? I think they took him for you know the, the sort of obvious surface-level reason that he is uh, you know a, a big wing who can fit in well with uh, what they need from the, you know, combo forward 3-4 type position. And uh, he's very athletic, which gives them, I think, a little bit of a different look than they currently have at those spots. And I don't know that I would necessarily say that he struggled super badly at Carolina. He was just on a very, with the exception of that point guard where Kobe White was a freshman and started and played a whole lot of minutes, Mm -hmm. he was on a very veteran-laden team. Like, he was behind Cam Johnson, uh, and Luke May. Cam Johnson was the best shooter in the country, shot 45% from three, and Luke May was one of the best players in ACC. It's not really all that surprising that that, that Little didn't end up playing a lot. You know, sort of like, you know, if you think back to previous uh, North Carolina teams where, you know, Brandon Wright was a sixth man as a freshman and a top recruit. Marvin Williams was a sixth man as a freshman and a top recruit. And he didn't play quite as well as those guys, but it's also, you know, a very different situation that he was in. Um, I think that there's still a lot of talent there. I don't think really anybody expected him to fall to 25, and I think the Blazers were very happy that he did. Yeah, and and then one final guy that I found – that, that had a lot of hype surrounding him but didn't really live up to potential was uh, Bruno Fernando. 
And I know that he may not be as well known. I mean, he was a decent prospect, and he didn't he didn't fall that that far in the draft. I mean, obviously going to uh, being picked thirty fourth. Um, but Bruno Fernando is now on the Hawks, which will give them uh, a strong guy. Do you think he'll play? He'll have a big role on the team uh, starting out, especially since they have so much youth on the team already. Or will he kind of be one of the guys where he'll work a bit, and then if he shows progress, that he'll uh, you know eventually make his way as a role player. I mean, it's tough to say. You know, a lot of it's going to depend on, you know, I think Dwayne Dedman is going to be one of the more sought-after, like, mid-level type guys this year. Um, obviously, they have his bird rights, and if they bring him back, I think that, that he'll wind up getting a bunch of those minutes at center, and there may not be, you know, even any time for for, Dedman, for uh, sorry Fernando to get at that spot. If they don't bring back Dwayne Dedman, then, you know, they might open up for him. But, you know, I would imagine it depends how he looks in summer league, how he looks in training camp, how he looks during the preseason. You know, these things tend to work themselves out as they should. And um, I don't think anybody could say with real confidence right now whether or not a second-round pick is going to figure into the rotation. Yeah, no, that, that's definitely true. Um, one of the guys you mentioned a little bit before, Kobe White, uh, was drafted seventh to the Chicago Bulls. Uh, the Bulls had been actively pursuing uh, a new point guard, wanting to move on from Chris Dunn. Is, is this the answer in Kobe White? I mean, obviously, like you said, he played a lot at, um, at UNC and played a big role on, on their team. Uh, but should they keep looking, maybe find a veteran point guard to groom Kobe White into the position, or should they just let him run free with Zach Levine? It's, it's never a bad idea to have more than one guy who can run your offense. So, you know, yeah, sure, go get a veteran point guard um, if you want to have another option at that position you know i do think that they they took white at seven for a reason i think he's going to certainly turbocharge their offense he is one of the fastest players in the draft and he pushes the ball up the floor pretty relentlessly looks to make things happen early in the shot clock and that is both a good thing because that's the easiest time to score and a bad thing because he's often very aggressive and makes somewhat questionable decisions you know he was very much uh, a freshman point guard mm-hmm. at Carolina this year. He made he made spectacular plays a lot, and he also made plays that are like, Kobe, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> a, a decent amount of the time. Um, I remember specifically in their first game against Duke, uh, there there was a whole lot of that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm very I'm very big on him though. I think he's a, a, a good shooter, a good passer. He gets up and down the floor. Um, the, the question for me is whether he's going to be able to be you know a high level defender. That's um, you know somewhat questionable for any point guard just because it's so hard to defend at that position. But especially if you're playing next to Zach Levine uh, in the backcourt, I think you do need to be a very good defender since you know he's been such a bad one throughout his career. Um, but I think that he's going to be put in position to succeed based on you know Levine is a good shooter, has proven himself that he can you know attack closeouts, beat guys off the dribble. Uh, Larry Markinen and Wendell Carter are two very intriguing pick-and-roll, pick-and-pop partners for him, and the, those guys will just provide space for him to do, I think, what he does best. Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, I mean, I'm definitely big on Kobe White, too. What I've seen, obviously, him playing at UNC, I think that he's a great prospect for the Bulls and a great, well, a great point guard prospect for them to look forward to using in the future. Um, so before we move on to a little NBA free agency talk, I've just got a few more things. Um, obviously, we can't ignore the Pelicans throughout this whole draft. I mean, they they turned Anthony Davis into a long list of picks uh, and and players, and 
they basically have a, an entire new team. So with a starting five, uh, you know, like they have now with Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart, and then they drafted Jackson Hayes and Zion Williamson, is this going to be another situation like the Hawks where it's going to take time and they're a young team, or do they have enough pure athleticism and youthful energy to actually make some noise in their first year? I think a lot of it's going to depend on what they do with the you know twenty or thirty or so million dollars in cap space that they have. If they go get more young guys to to grow with Zion and the kids they got from the Lakers, then you know I wouldn't expect them to make a run of the playoffs. If they get someone that's you know really good, and um, you know one of the twenty five, thirty or so whatever best players in the league, then you know potentially with that guy and Holiday and Zion who I think will probably be very good as a rookie. He seems like one of the guys that's going to be the exception rather than the rule. Um, then potentially they could, you know, compete for one of the spots at the bottom of the West. But it's it's very difficult to do that, um, even with all the guys they added. And, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it, it depends on what happens in free agency. I would say more likely that they'll be on the outside looking in, but I wouldn't necessarily be shocked if they wound up in the playoffs next year, depending on what they do in free agency. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and before we move on to free agency talk, I almost forgot we have a few questions from, from our listeners that we, I wanted to get your take on. So uh, the first one is actually about Zion. Uh, what is what is one way that Zion won't be successful? So I know we've heard a lot of hype about how uh, he, you know, is one of the greatest athletic prospects. He's Julius Randle um, play style with, you know, insane athleticism and, and court vision. But what's what's a reason why he won't be one of the greatest players in the league? I guess, like, if he gets hurt, <laughs> that's one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that that works. I, it's kind of kind of a tough question because you don't really see a lot of red flags, if any at all. I mean, it's if he gets hurt, and I guess you know if um, if he never shoots, and if the, and and he's not surrounded by at least some shooting. Mm. Yeah, that that that's definitely yeah. That that's another good point too. Um, okay, let's see. Here's another one. Uh, Carson Edwards, drafted by the Boston Celtics, had an amazing run in the NCAA tournament. Um, what is his role going to look like? with the Celtics during during the season? I mean, obviously, free agency will come into play, but what what do you see as a realistic role for him on the Celtics? Yeah, I mean, they've not necessarily been afraid to, to use rookies as valuable parts of their rotation, but, I mean, you just said it. I mean, it's it's going to be very heavily dependent on what happens with them in free agency. Obviously, it doesn't look like Kyrie Irving is going to be back there, but, you know, are they bringing back Terry Rozier? Are they signing Kimball Walker? Are they getting sort of a placeholder point guard? Uh, we really have no idea what's going to be happening at that position. Now, I wouldn't expect him to come into the season as the starter necessarily, but you know whether he is you know a a high minute backup or a, a low minute backup or something else entirely is uh, going to depend a lot on what happens starting a week or so. All right, and one more question here. So it's regarding uh, the OK, the Oklahoma City Thunder and their hopeful ability to stay under the luxury tax. So what are some what are some trade scenarios regarding OKC players, Steven Adams and Dennis Schroeder? Where are places where they might find themselves going? I think the, the, the first place you have to look is whichever of the star chasing teams misses out on those stars. You know, especially with 
with Schroeder or a guy like Andre Robertson. Um, if you get a team to take on that contract, give them some sort of asset, second round pick, something like that. I think that would make a decent amount of sense. You know, obviously Adams is much more of a positive value guy, actually brings much more value on the floor. And it's going to depend on somebody, you know, not really having an answer at center and maybe wanting to go get him, um, you know, in terms of salary dumping grounds, um, Atlanta has shown a, a, a pretty obvious willingness mm-hmm. to do that. Um, the Knicks seem like they may be the team that's sort of left out in the cold for agency, and they would make a ton of sense, but it doesn't sound like they necessarily want salary guys that aren't going to help at all on the floor. And I don't know what they think of, you know, Robertson or Schroeder or really anybody else that you might consider negative value guys that they would just want to send out their contracts attached to draft picks. Um, you know, beyond that, it's difficult to identify which teams make sense right now because we just don't know who's going to get left out in free agency. And obviously you need to have the cap space to be able to take on those contracts, presumably in exchange for assets. But I don't know that anybody is going to see say Schroeder as a positive value guy that they want to go out and affirmatively make a deal for and give you something for him. It seems like it's much more likely that it's going to have to be the Thunder being willing to give something up along with him to get someone to take him on. Same thing with Robertson. Uh, I think it's much more likely if they're looking to get something of value in return that it'll come in, in an Adams deal. But, you know, that then leaves them obviously without, you know, a real option at center and you got to take at least some salary back presumably and it might just cut their tax bill rather than get them out of the tax there are a lot of considerations at play and it's really difficult to figure out what the target is going to be and and why until we see again who misses out on the guys that they're chasing in free agency and who has the space to be able to make moves like that all right so you've been alluding to it throughout the entire show uh, talking about the draft so i think it's time that we talk about a little bit of free agency so um Obviously, it's a lot of things are up in the air. Uh, Kyrie was for sure going to the Nets, and then all of a sudden he wasn't going to the Nets uh, unless they get KD, and then KD may be going. And, I mean, that's just between two of the guys. There's so many more players out there that uh, haven't been discussed as much. So, basically, I want to take, take kind of a almost a speed round and go through about 10 or so free agents, and then you tell me where you think their best landing spot is and why uh, it will work. So let's start with, let's just start from some of the best players. So Kevin Durant, where is he going to go uh, this offseason? Are we doing where do I think he's going to go or where do I think is the best place for him? Uh, let's do where do you think he's going to go? Oh, um, KD, I mean, I have no real handle on that right now. I think anybody who, who tells you that they do is lying. Um, <laughs> You know, I think it's it's between sort of the three teams that people are really talking about. You know, is he going to stay in Golden State or is he going to go to one of the New York teams? Um, I think that wherever he goes, whether it's, you know, staying in Golden State or going to the Knicks or going to the Nets, it'll be him as the first domino, so it's not perceived as him following somewhere. Like, I think if, if Kyrie signs with the Nets at 12.01 or, sorry, at 6.01 on June 30th, then I would – that would give me more of an indication that KD is not going there than that he is. Um, I don't think that he's going to want to have been perceived as following someone else to a certain destination. Um, 
So I think he's going to, wherever it is, if he, especially if he leaves Golden State, I think he's going to be one to be seen as the guy that went first. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, I saw I saw a thing today talking about how um, how crazy it is that team that KD's so good that teams will be willing to to max him. Can you think of any players in the league right now, um, you know, healthy or not, that you would give a max to if they if you knew you were gonna have to wait a year uh, because of an Achilles injury? Is there is there a guy there that valuable uh, like KD that you would be willing to do that? Clay Thompson's going to get a max coming off of a torn ACL suffered, you know, three days after Durant's torn Achilles. Obviously, an ACL is, you know, less um, serious in terms of how it's affected guys' careers. Um, you know, I, I think he would certainly be another guy. I mean, I don't think anybody would have not offered LeBron a max last year if he was coming off a torn Achilles. Yeah. I think that if Giannis were hitting free agency right now off of a torn Achilles, everybody would offer him the max. I mean, it's all the best guys in the league. I think at this point, if you're a top five, seven, eight player, I think for the most part, you know, as long as you're not like, you know, 37, 38 years old, I think you would still get a max offer at this point, especially you know, in this cap environment this summer with so much space available around the league. Uh, I think that a lot of these guys, um, at least at the very top of the league, would still get that kind of offer. Yeah, no, that's true. I don't think, um, I mean, there's not a lot of guys, but Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, those guys are definitely a few that will would get the max. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump to uh, Kyrie Irving. So Kyrie, a lot of drama this year with the Boston Celtics. Uh, at the beginning of the year, he said he was going to re-sign. Everything was going great until it wasn't. And then it was going great again. And then it wasn't going great again. And now we've, found ourselves in sort of a uh, a, stock, a stuck position where the Celtics haven't really been in communication with Kyrie, and it really seems like he's going to be leaving in the offseason. But where is your best guess that he will end up if he does, in fact, leave the Celtics in free agency? Sure seems like Brooklyn. That's all you've been hearing for, I guess, the past, like, really several weeks now, basically since Boston season ended. Um, and, and even a little bit before that, I think. Um, that seems to be the, the one destination that people have the most confidence about outside of, like, Clay Thompson staying with Golden State. <laughs> That's uh, even, even more than people saying during the season, like, oh, you know, Durant and Kyrie to the Knicks is a done deal. People seem much more confident about Kyrie to the Nets now. Yeah, I, I, I'd have to agree with that, too. Another guy, Kawhi Leonard who I'd always assumed had one foot out the door after he was traded from San Antonio to, Rap- to the Raptors. And then all of a sudden, he hit one of the greatest uh, shots in NBA playoff history. And then he also won a title with the Raptors. What's the likelihood that, that he stays or he goes? I think it's certainly more li- much more likely that he stays than it was when that trade was made, than it was when the season started, than it was at the All-Star break, than it was at the start of the playoffs, than it was... You know, when that shot was in the air against Philly than it was before the finals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I, I think that throughout the year, the chance that he stays has just been increasing basically every day. I don't know that it's necessarily a better than 50-50 chance at this point. You know, if anybody is going to leave the team that just won the finals just because he wants to go to L.A., like, seems like Kawhi would be that guy. You know, he pushed for a trade to leave the Spurs, which is widely considered, you know, one of the handful of best organizations, not just in the NBA, but in all of sports. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not necessarily the kind of decision-making 
that that leads you to say, hey, they just won. It's a really good organization. He's obviously going to stay. Um, there's a you know a bunch of different considerations there. I think that uh, Toronto is in much better position uh, than anybody thought they would be, and I think they have a real chance. And I wouldn't be surprised if he stays there. I think I'd probably still lean a little bit for the Clippers just because that that push and that noise has been so strong throughout the entire season. But I mean. To me, it's one of those two teams, and maybe he stays in Toronto on a one plus one. Maybe he stays for the full max. Um, I do think if he goes to LA, it's not going to be on a one plus one. It's going to be a, a long term deal. But those are sort of the, um, the scenarios that I could see. Yeah, no, Kawhi's definitely not one for uh, the normal way of doing things. I would say. But do you think there's a third team that could possibly be involved in signing him, uh, or is it just between the Clippers so, and Raptors? Not this year, like maybe. It's signs a one plus one then he explores you know the mix of the lakers next year but it very much like i don't think even during the season there was any noise about any other team it was essentially he's going to the clippers unless the raptors can convince him to stay based on this year yeah i'd have to agree uh and okay i'm gonna switch it up here not as well known a free agent but nikola vucevic came off of a career year with the magic he was an all-star played decently well but he's also 29 uh, going out of his prime, where what's a team? Are they going to have to give him the max in order to get him to come over, uh, or and and where does he eventually end up? Yeah, I don't know that they'll necessarily have to give him the max. I don't know that they necessarily will even offer him the max. Obviously, they they drafted uh, Mo Bamba last year. I know that they're still high on him, despite you know the somewhat you know erratic play while he was on the court and then obviously the injury he suffered during the season you know they have Aaron Gordon who's a four John Isaac who essentially should be a four um so they do have a somewhat crowded front court but you know he was pretty clearly uh their best player last season and uh, if they don't resign him that's uh, you know a, a drastically different team uh I think that the Kings are going to make a push to sign him they do want to bring in a center to play next to Bagley. They do want to bring in somebody who can space the floor. And I think Bruce showed last year, you know, he stretched his game out beyond the three-point line, and he had already been a very good shooter from, you know, the 18 to 20-foot range. They're going to make a push for him. I know there was a lot of, you know, noise about Dallas during the season. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that sort of goes away because they brought in Porzingis, and now maybe they're looking at somebody else. You know, there's obviously been Kemba Walker noise and now Horford noise. Who knows what you know, will come to fruition there. I do think Butch will have suitors. I don't know that he gets uh, a max, though. That might be a little bit uh, too rich for people's blood. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't know. I mean, coming off of, you know, obviously a career year, but at the end of your prime, it's I feel like it's too much of a risk. I could see one of the lower-end teams uh, that are really in need of star power sending him the max, but, um, yeah, not really any other teams that are in serious playoff contention. But another guy who's – we'll go back to some some – Notable stars. Um, another guy who's been making a lot of news is Kemba Walker. So at first, he, he's been wishy-washy on his commitment to Charlotte. And, I mean, it's kind of obvious because it makes sense because they really haven't won a lot of a lot of playoff games, games at all, really, with him as this, this star guy. So I've heard rumors of the Lakers aggressively pursuing him, the Mavs staying in Charlotte and signing another guy, or even the Celtics. Uh, so where does, where does Kemba Walker end up at the end of free agency? I think to me the the top prospective destinations are Charlotte, Boston, and Dallas in some order. Dallas has been pretty open all year that it has plans to chase him. They feel like he's a really good fit um, with both Luka Doncic and with Porzingis. They think sort of a you know a ball handling 
uh, burden-sharing agreement between him and Luca can work really well. Mm-hmm. And then obviously Chris Tepps just provides such a good, natural, you know, pick-and-roll, pick-and-pop partner with both of those guys. It sort of protects the rim behind them. I think that that would be a really good fit. Um, I, I think that they're going to offer him as much money as they can and hope that he says yes. Um, Boston pretty clearly has been clearing its cap space for a run at somebody. Vooch um, has been a guy that people have talked about too, but certainly they look like they're going to have a pretty big hole at point guard, and if they could go get Kemba, I think they would love to do that. Um, with the Hornets, it's going to depend on, you know, is Michael Jordan willing to pay the tax next year? Um, I think the answer to that question is almost definitely no. I'm not sure that he would even pay the tax if they were going to be a definite playoff team. Um, and and then at that point, you're talking about, well, if they offer the Supermax, they have to find a way to dump a lot of salary um, in order to not pay the tax. And then all of a sudden you're making the team even worse next season. And it's not like you can then go out and sign more guys to make the team better because the whole point is that you're cutting salary. And then if you don't offer the Supermax, you know, does that open up things for him to go sign elsewhere. Um, a lot of it, I think, is going to depend on on Charlotte's financial situation, and I don't think that bodes well for them. I think that's why these past couple of days you're seeing a lot more pop up about Boston and Dallas thinking that they have a really good shot to get him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, Kemba said before that he was willing to take less than the max, but he also obviously wants more star power brought in to help him out. But, I, yeah, I agree. I don't know if Michael Jordan's going to be willing to spend all that money. Uh, but let's go ahead, and as we finish up here, I want to do like a rapid fire. I'm just going to give you a bunch of names at a, at a time, and you give me like three or four sentences uh, about where they end up and why. So first, DeMarcus Cousins, and also DeMarcus Cousins, how much do you pay him? Oh, man. This is like <laughs> the hardest guy, I think, in the whole league. Oh, no uh, doubt, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much I would pay him. You know, he came off, obviously, the, the torn Achilles and looked like, okay in spurts and really bad defensively mm-hmm. um you know even worse than he was you know before the injury and this was because he couldn't make the kind of you know lateral movements that he needed to not because he was just being lazy like it was before um you know he still i think showed very high level uh, offensive skills we saw that even in the finals when he could barely move and he had that great game two and then played well again mm-hmm. uh in game five um so the, the skill set, I think, is there, and there could be some team that is you know sucked in by that. It, it's hard to, to say who's going to go after him and how much just because you don't know what the injury situation is and who's comfortable paying somebody coming off that. And I, and I really don't know what the market is going to be at all. I haven't gotten a firm handle from really anybody on what he can expect to be paid. Yeah, no, his, his is the most confusing. I, like, I feel like... You give him maybe a two-year, uh, 12.5, 15000000 million. That's safe because it still gets some money. Or even like a, a one-plus-one, which obviously a lot of players have, have done. But like in your best guess, like if let's say you're a GM, what are you paying DeMarcus Cousins to play for your basketball team? I mean, if I'm a GM, I'm probably not paying him to play for my basketball team just because I'm so concerned about guys coming off of the specific injuries that he's had. Uh, and how that would affect my team on defense, especially at center. So if it was me, I probably just wouldn't do it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's also a, another scenario, too. Um, okay, Al Horford. Yeah, um, it sounds like Dallas is going to make 
a run at him. You know, there was some rumblings a couple of days ago that people thought maybe New Orleans was going to be sort of the mystery team that had the uh, the offer there um, for him. But Mark Stein reported earlier today that it's not them. I think the Clippers are going to make a, a strong run at him if they don't get Kawhi Leonard, um, or maybe even if they do get Kawhi Leonard and they bring him in to to be you know one of their big guys uh, in the front court. Those seem like the two teams that make the most sense right now, mm-hmm. and um, I sort of expect him to wind up with one of them, but I also wouldn't be surprised. Like There was such a specific number reported um, in terms of the offer that he was going to get, four years, $112 million, and then Mark Stein, who's as plugged in in Dallas as anybody in the world, says that they keep insisting that it's not them. So if it's not them, um, I don't know that the Clippers could make such a – um, a specific offer without really knowing what's going to happen with Kawhi or any of the other max guys. So it's, it's possible there's some team working out there that we don't really know about right now. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, no, that, that's always the best part about uh, free agency is those teams that kind of come out of nowhere um, in even a day or two and just kind of uh, sneak up on you don't really realize. Uh, one final guy here. I want to talk a little bit more and then we'll let you go. Uh, D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of that obviously is going to depend on what happens with Kyrie. I think if the Nets can get Kyrie to come, they will say, okay, D'Angelo, it was nice to have you. Uh, We'll see you later. Uh, If they don't get Kyrie to come, I would expect them to keep Russell. Um, But if he becomes an unrestricted free agent, that obviously opens up a lot more avenues. I know Phoenix is very interested, and uh, Devin Booker especially is very interested. Uh, Indiana was supposedly interested early on in the offseason, but now it sounds like they're going to go after Ricky Rubio. Instead, um, I could see Dallas, or, or sorry, not Dallas, um, I could see Orlando getting interested just because of the, the question marks in their point guard situation. And there's been a lot of talk about Minnesota figuring out a way to clear the space to go get him too. Maybe it's a sign and trade, maybe it's something else. Maybe they find a way to clear you know, the, the Albatross Andrew Wiggins contract off their books and, and open up the space to sign him outright. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to have a lot of suitors, uh, especially if the Nets end up getting Kyrie and he becomes an unrestricted free agent rather than a restricted one. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely one of the best times of the NBA season, obviously. Uh, not the, the game itself, but all the, the drama and the, uh, the extra talking behind the scenes. And, you know, we don't know what's going on, but that's part of the fun. Um, if you're a team, if you're a GM, uh, and you have, let's say, $28 million in cap space, are you more likely going to go for that superstar, or are you going to divvy up the, the money and sign maybe two or three guys? Because there's obviously a lot of high-value guys that you can get for 12 to $14 million that would really help round out your team. I think that depends an awful lot of, of, on which team I am the GM of. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You know, if if I'm the Lakers, I think it's just much more advantageous for them, especially if, if Anthony Davis doesn't end up waiving his trade bonus and if they don't find a way to dump the contracts of Mo Wagner and Jamario Jones and Isaac Bonga, then it seems like much more prudent to me for them to get two or potentially three rotation guys with their cap space than it does for them to pay one guy $20 million and then fill out, you know, nine roster spots with minimum guys and, and, uh, and the... Um, the room exception on the other hand if you're a team like dallas or maybe even new orleans or sacramento um getting that one-star guy could be you know the difference that makes you a much different caliber of team same with boston you know if they're able to bring in kemba walker Mm -hmm. that 
changes a whole lot about what their team was going to look like next season if they, as expected, lose Kyrie and Al Horford. You know, same thing with the Knicks. If they bring in two stars or one star, that dramatically changes things for them much more than it would if they, you know, went and signed, you know, three rotation players for twenty million dollars a year each. Yeah, no, that that's that makes a lot of sense. Uh, before I let you go, one final thing here. Uh, I want you to give it your best guess, but at the end of free agency, who's going to be the biggest winner and who's going to be the biggest loser? Um, I'm going to say the Raptors will be the biggest winner. Okay. Um, and uh, just because just the potential that Kawhi ends up staying even for one year, I think would make uh, – make them the biggest winner of anybody in the league because he looked like he was basically the best player that there was. Um, Mm. And I'll say that the Celtics are the biggest loser. Um, They're going to have lost Kyrie and Al Horford, presumably, and I'm not necessarily sure I see them landing Kemba Walker. It'll be, you know, a much different path back to where they thought they were going than the path they originally chartered for themselves. Even if a team like, you know, the, the Knicks or the Nets or the Clippers strikes out in free agency, um, obviously that was a big part of the plan for all of them, but there, there are, it was a, always a sort of moonshot at this summer to say, if that happens, great, we completely changed our fortunes. But I do think that they're all still set up where they could easily take the, you know, the slow goes it route and keep their cap space, roll it over, collect assets. Uh, do this all again next year and or the year after. The Celtics aren't quite set up the same way because they got to pay their young guys pretty soon, and this is really going to be their only shot with uh, with the cap space that they have right now to replace these guys. Well, thank you, Jared, so much for coming on. It's been great to talk NBA draft and a little free agency with you. Uh, is there anything that you've got out there? I know the uh, NBAathlete.com. Do you want to kind of talk about that website a little bit? Sure. Um, it's... Uh, sort of not exactly timely because the draft is already over, but oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. I um, I went and compiled all of the data from the NBA Combine going back all the way to 2000. Everybody that has attended the Combine during that time, all of their body measurements, all of their testing data, we have it all in one place at NBAathlete.com. That's N-B-A-T-H-L-E-T-E.com. And uh, you can see there that we've got all of the data that is searchable, sortable, all sorts of things. We also developed a um, an athleticism metric called B-Spark, which is an offshoot of the Spark athleticism metric, which was originally developed by Nike to measure the athleticism of, of high school athletes in every sport. We sort of uh, adjusted it based on the, the NFL formula that exists and is used by the teams like the Seahawks and the Cowboys and the Chiefs to measure athleticism for players. Uh, myself and Brandon Boyd and Colin Clapham, who I worked with, we uh, adjusted that formula and applied it to NBA players at the Combine and have athleticism ratings for everybody that did athletic testing from 2000 to 2019. And you can see all of those at nbathlete.com. And uh, we've also got a sort of calculator so that you can calculate athleticism ratings for everyone and so you can input uh, combine results for really anybody that you ever wanted and generate uh, athletic, athleticism comparisons uh, from that historical database as well. Yeah, so if anyone out there wants to get a, a, a jump start maybe on 
on looking at what next year's prospects may, you know, or what, you know, what this year's prospects may turn out to be. Uh, you can obviously check that out. Uh, it's a really great site, super cool. Um, and you can also follow Jared at capital J A Dubin five. Is that, is that right? Was that your Twitter handle? Okay, yeah, so for, for uh, sports takes and anything else you might want to see, definitely go follow them there. You can find more episodes of the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, really wherever you get your podcast. Uh, we hope you guys enjoy this episode, and we'll see you next week.